Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 44. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fuleman. Hi, everybody. Uh, Fuleman, how are you doing? I am doing all right. Uh, the Leafs have done us a solid by absolutely pantsing the Vancouver Canucks last night, so that was fun. Yeah, yeah, it was a pretty dominant showing. It was like a very, it was a very good example of a good team just beating a bad team without getting out of second gear. Yeah, like they didn't really have to strain themselves. Like the Vancouver Canucks without Elias Patterson are not good. Like they're like in that circumstance, a bottom three team in the NHL. Yeah, and I then think. when they're without Elias Pettersson and Josh Levo, there's no hope. <laughs> yeah, because we know Josh Levo was a lock for two goals if he'd been in the lineup against the <laughs> Leafs, as per the rule of returning Leafs. Yeah. Like, yeah, um, you know, just casually dominant performance. Yeah, and man, there's there's not a lot on Vancouver besides Pettersson, who is, who is unreal, who is so good. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but like, it's like Pettersson... Besser, yeah. Bo Horvat, and then, like, it gets real dicey after that forward. And the defense is, like, Chris Tanev and then, like, the remains of Alex Adler, I guess. Yeah, so and apparently pretty... they're looking to resign Alex Adler. Uh, I, um, so we talked about this, I think, briefly on, like, Slack at one point. But I'm so excited for Jim Benning trying to build up a team. Here's the thing. Jim Benning has done what looked to me to be short-sighted win-now moves mm-hmm. when his team was clearly entering a rebuild. The Louis Erickson contract stands out. Uh, Jay Beagle's contract yeah. that he signed this summer. It's like, again, this is curious in a lot of ways. And now with Pedersen, who, let's be real, is a franchise center. He's a transformative star. Yeah, he's very, very good. Like, I, I think that in a couple of years, he's going to be like, he'll be behind McDavid. And then he'll be one of those guys who we talk about is, okay, is this guy second best in the world? Yeah, and like Matthews in, in, in the McKinnon, Matthews, Eichel. I think he's going to be that good. Yeah. Um, and so, you know what? As much as I like dunking on the Canucks and all that sort of stuff, Vancouver fans should legit be really happy um, with what they've got there. That's very cool. They but, shouldn't be happy with who's running it. Exactly. <laughs> and the thing is, the window to fire Jim Benning, I honestly think, was end of last season. Yeah. Because now they're going to improve. They're going to hang around the playoff race a little bit, it looks like. I don't think they're going to get in, but... They need, like, some nice hot streaks. They would, Yeah, they would need to get really hot, but it's not another question. And they're going to be able to point to it and say, hey, you know, we made a lot of progress. Uh, the rebuild is kind of looking up. Especially for but, a guy who's kind of been sold as, hey, I'm a draft guy, I'm a prospects guy. And, like, he... The Canucks have a good prospect pool, Uh I guess it's worse now because Pedersen is no longer a prospect, but like that's part of the deal when you have good players. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like he he can really sell that because that's part of his whole brand as a GM. Like, hey, I'm the drafting guy. Yeah, and so he's going to point to that. He's going to point to Quinn Hughes, who's coming together. If Thatcher, I don't know if uh, Demko actually predates his tenure. I should check that. But you know, he's going to have a lot to hang his hat on. Yep, and and. Uh, then they're going to be stuck with him on the way up, which would make me kind of uncomfortable because I'd really worry that he's going to bobble this team's chance to seriously accumulate some talent. So we'll see. But still. Yeah, yeah. There, there's, that roster is just, like, not very good. <laughs> no, well, they were rumored to be, like, looking at trading Nikolai Goldolbin. Um, and Goldolbin has had some good numbers playing with Patterson this year. Mm-hmm. A little iffy away from Patterson. So I can understand being like, we're not sure how much credit we want to give him for that. But at the same time, you look at their wingers and, like, 
Goldobin is like their only young, good-ish winger aside from Besser. It's just a really kind of dicey list. And again, of course, Josh Levo, who again, as we know, was going to win the Art Ross on year. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know what they're doing 100%, but they've drafted some cool players. None of that helped them last night, though, no. because they're not ready for prime time yet, especially not without Patterson, so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. um, one other thing I want to mention. So, an annual tradition when the Canucks come to Toronto is people talking about Chris Tanev, like, in, in mm-hmm. the media, especially because the Leafs have always been bad at right defense, and Tanev has been a guy who they've been linked to a lot. Mm-hmm. The Canucks, like, seemingly fucked up by not trading him before, right? I mean, I, I guess they could say, oh, we want this, they're competitive this year, and they wouldn't be without Tanev, and it's been useful in that sense, but, like, you're not getting anything for Tanev anymore. No. Um, like, I remember during the Nylander holdout, I was seeing a lot of uh, Canucks fans uh, saying, like, Nylander for Tanev, baby. It's like, yeah, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I mean, I'm sorry, but, like, the dude's body is kind of dicey right now. Yeah, Tanev's a nice player, but he's he's declined, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and he's, o- he's old at this point. Uh, he's about to be 30. Actually, not about yeah. to be 30. He just turned 29. But that's getting up there. And mm-hmm. he always misses time. So he's he's not attractive as a trade piece anymore. Now, maybe, they, maybe they'd maybe they still be happy with, like, keeping him and, you know, veteran leadership and all that all that sort of stuff. Um, and, you know, we don't follow the Canucks that closely, so it's hard for us to say for sure. But from the outside, it seems like a bit of a misstep, especially since I, I think neither of us think they're genuinely a competitive team this year. They're, like... A mediocre, a, a below average team that has run a little bit hot and is in a super weak uh, division. Yeah, I, I mean they're fortunate to be as close to the playoffs as they are. I have to think, mm-hmm. and like the truth is, is that 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 defense I don't think is playable. Like Tanev is the best guy on it, but um, y- you know, one there are a lot of guys who are expiring, but it's a lot of end of the lineup guys. After that, I mean, Eric at Branson, what can you even say at this point? He got absolutely walked last night. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's questionable to me. I mean, uh, again, you know, if they're offering me Tanev for, like, a cheap pick or something like that, I don't know, something to think about. But, like, they're not going to do that. So, yeah, I, I don't know where this speculation is coming from. It, it sounds like to me like it's coming from 2015. Yeah. And this would have made a lot more sense. Would have made but... way more sense then. <laughs> yeah. So. Anyway. Uh, but, yeah. So, that, that was a fun game. Um, and anytime uh, Igor Zyganov gets a goal, I think that that's a good night for the Leafs. So, we're prob- yeah. We're undefeated when he scores, probably. This is like his second <laughs> One goal. One assumes. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't even remember the first goal. So. No. So, you know. Whatever. But, uh, yeah. So... Uh, definitely a fascinating situation for the Canucks to be in. Um, we'll see how that develops on the coast. But I will say there's a lot to like about their position, especially compared to some other teams. Yeah. I, I, I think they need, like, one more star. Like, Besser, mm-hmm. I think, is really good. He's he's a rare player who I think is going to have a highly above-average shooting percentage for most of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like... They need Hughes to turn into something like really good as well, and then I, and then I think they're fine because they're probably not getting a great pick this year. No, they like that's the thing about having the rise out of the cellar. You have to do it, and I don't think like 
it's a failure if you have a season where you don't finish either in the cup or like bottom three mm-hmm. like you need some transitional seasons as you work your way out but the result is yeah you know they pick let's say ninth or tenth or something instead of top five well that makes it harder yeah absolutely so all right yeah. um so that's enough about the canucks i guess uh-huh. <laughs> forever yeah yeah <laughs> um so i guess one thing we should mention uh if just for a little bit is uh the report and i use report very liberally here from mm-hmm. elliot friedman it, during the headline segment during the second intermission where he said that the carolina hurricanes may be entertaining offers for michael furland and dougie hamilton this is the most non-committal report you could possibly have yeah entertaining offers is like that can literally mean anything that, that means like i haven't hung up the phone when you've opened by saying, hey, would you take uh, XX for Dougie Hamilton? It doesn't mean that they're at all close to doing it. And in Hamilton's case, because let's be real, I'm not that interested in Michael Furland. <laughs> um, yeah, Furland's uh, having like, a good year, but I think he's he's a UFA coming up. Or... Yeah, he's, well, that's the thing is he's a rental. Like he's, he's a perfectly cool guy to add as a winger, but it's like yeah. I'm not that interested in like a middling winger rental. But Dougie Hamilton has three years to go and is a... A prestige right defenseman. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the truth is, if you're the Hurricanes and you're trading Dougie Hamilton, you want a high, high-end forward. You want you want someone who can score, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, they, it's that simple. Um, you, you want a guy who can score. You want a guy who can... Who you're going to pin all your hopes of undoing the last five years of whatever the fuck has been going on to the Hurricanes. No so pressure. It's wor- yeah, it's worth talking about this. People who, like, care about advanced statistics and all that sort of stuff are probably familiar with this by now. But the Carolina Hurricanes consistently put up really, really impressive shot numbers. And the natural instinct from a lot of people who are familiar with shot-based metrics is to think, okay, if they get some goaltending, they can't be this bad in terms of shooting percentage forever. Like, they're going to regress in the direction of the mean just because we've never seen a team consistently shoot this bad in spite of these really good metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, Carolina is now at this point where I think we have to acknowledge the possibility that something is going on there that we're just not able to track. Whether it's pre-shot movement or, uh, I mean, a lack of shooting talent seems kind of obvious when you look at the roster at times. But it's almost like tautological right it's like oh they don't score so they don't have shooting talent so they don't score right so it's yeah like our evidence Uh, for them not having shooting talent is the fact that they haven't scored but then like elias lindholm leaves and suddenly has goals out the wazoo and part of that is variance right same thing happened to jeff skinner although skinner's always been a very good goal scorer yeah that was just kind of i think we both agree case of him being a scapegoat yeah that was a really really curious trade for a team that was bleeding for shooting talent and they have one guy who has obvious shooting talent and they say no we don't want you anymore um and so they deal him in a pretty dicey transaction yeah they got but a like, poo-poo platter of prospects including Cliff poo <laughs> that was not intentional <laughs> really yeah <laughs> okay um but yeah so you know whatever's going on in carolina now it it makes me wonder a little bit about some things. Hamilton's metrics were good in Calgary. And they're still very good. And they're still very good. 
And in Calgary, he actually had a certain amount of point production for however much you care about that for defensemen. And so the question is not, would we take Dougie Hamilton if he were offered to us? Because we definitely would. He's a 25-year-old top pair right defenseman with three years left at 5.75. Yeah. Like, that's close to answer to our prayers. But Carolina, I assume, would want a ransom for him. Like... They were trying to get uh, Nylander for, like, Brett Pesce. Right. You know, and it's like, mm, hard pass. But uh, I don't know what Hamilton would cost. I mean, they just acquired him over the summer in a very expensive transaction. Mm -hmm. And, And, I mean, you were saying before we came on, first of all, you wonder a little bit about the turnaround time. Yeah. Like, Uh, it's... I mean, they they spent... uh, quite a bit in terms of assets to acquire the guy what Mm -hmm. would have changed their mind if they are actually looking to get rid of him and again we don't know that they are we know that they're entertaining offers which is like every team is entertaining offers on every player Mm -hmm. right like you're not doing a gm your job as a gm if you're if you're not doing that um because you know someone might get peter schiaretti syndrome and just want to make a dumb trade yeah as i said that was one of the most unbelievable things about the schiaretti trade is that like other GMs were like, why didn't he call us? We would have definitely offered more. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, some of those things. And like, Although, Su- you know, Subban got traded at like pretty much the same time, right? Like, Yes, he did. It was like the same day yeah. or very close to it. And like, everyone was like, well, why didn't they just trade Hall for Subban? That would have made, made a lot more sense for both teams. Yeah, to be clear, that would have been like really interesting. Now, I mean, Montreal would have gotten weaker at defense, but, you know, that kind of... Is what the risk you're taking. Um, Okay, this is just an aside before we get back to the Dougie Hamilton thing. But apparently, uh, the Oilers asked the Sabres if they would uh, give up Rasmus Ristolainen for Taylor Hall. Which, and the Sabres said no. And longtime fans of this podcast will know that Rasmus Ristolainen is our favorite player in the NHL. We actually, we love him a lot. Um, and that would have been the funniest thing in the universe because it would have been worse than all for Larson. It's one of those rare news stories that come out <laughs> that makes both parties look really dumb. Oh, yeah. Like, like, like the Oilers are idiots for offering it and the Sabres are idiots for turning it down. Yeah, everyone involved in that should be fired. And, you know, the Sabres actually did dispose of the GM they had at the time. But, uh... Yeah, that would have been Tim yeah. Murray, right? Yeah, and so now they've moved on to uh, Jason Bottle. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so... All the chatter around Hamilton, like he goes to too many museums and stuff like that, is a lot of stuff that I don't care about. And I'll say it's a lot of stuff that it's weird that you think anyone would care about that much. Moxie doesn't even have good food. Yeah. (laughs) I had like a, a blackened chicken sandwich there one time. It was pretty good. I'm just saying. That's, this is my, my role on this podcast, is defenders of uh, mid-sized Canadian chain restaurants. It's, it's like, exactly the same as, like, Earl's and Joey's and, like, oh, yeah. half the well, Oliver and Bonaccini restaurants and, like, Cactus Club. It's like... Yeah, no, I mean... They're all functionally like, the same. It's not the Ritz. Look, we're not going for the refined palette thing here. But, like, the point is, even if he's, like, a bit of a loner and kind of standoffish or something... I've seen teams tolerate much worse, including dickishness to your own teammates, from worse players. Yeah, like it's putting up with it. And so, 
you wonder if this is like, you know, if something else is being implied there. I'm not sure. And the thing or, is, this might be one yeah. of those things where if the team was winning, no yeah. one would care at all. It, 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 you're quirky when you're winning and you're an asshole when you're losing. You know, it's one of those things. Yeah. And then so uh, Tom Dundon. Is that even how you pronounce his name, actually? Because, like, that's how it looks to me. If this, and if I've this seen... podcast had a higher budget than, like, zero dollars, I would definitely have, like, a soundboard. And we'd, I'd do, like, the law and order. Yeah. Every time we mention it. Anyway, Tom Dundon, who's the owner of the Carolina Hurricanes, he's sort of an aggressive, forceful guy. I've read him interviewed, despite the fact that I'm iffy on the pronunciation of his name. But, you know, he's an opinionated guy. Uh, he wears his heart on his sleeve. He said some things that are kind of forceful. I get the impression that um, he may have had some influence in the decision to trade Skinner. Like they were just kind of sick of his attitude or whatever. Right. I could see if, you know, you're very frustrated with this team and you have, uh, you know, some guys in your analytics department saying, no, hang on, it'll work out, it'll work out, it'll regress, the pucks will start going in or something like that. And eventually you kind of just want to flip the table over and you find yourself saying we need some goal scoring these guys who put up shot metrics and don't contribute aren't doing jack shit we have a lot of defensemen if hamilton is so well thought of let's trade him for someone who can score instead of these shot metrics that lead to us finishing 11th every year in the conference um so on an emotional level that's what it feels to me like they would be doing right again I'm saying, like, you know, they're if they're trading Dougie Hamilton, they're looking for a really, really high-end player. Yep, absolutely. Return, so, like, I, I don't, yeah. as you said, I think it's a very good point. They wanted to trade, uh, they want to acquire William Nylander for Brett Pesci. Right? Yeah. Like, and, and by the way, Nylander's start to the year won't have convinced Dundon that he's a goal scorer. Yeah. <laughs> he, he has one now. So, I mean, it, it, it'd be kind of funny because <laughs> Nylander right now is very much a, he's a shot metrics guy where the pucks just aren't going in, right? Like his, uh, yeah. <laughs> his shot metrics are, are really, really nice right now. Yeah, that's what we were saying is that he now looks like he has Carolina Hurricanes disease because like he fits the profile of that team entirely where he's not producing enough, but everything else looks good. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but uh, you know, we were debating, you know, off screen with the rise of Kasperi Kapanen. It's now really painful to contemplate trading him. Yeah. I would do it for Dougie Hamilton. But that you know, that sounds like the most absurd Leafs fan homer thing. It's like, oh wow, you trade, you know, your sixth best forward for a one art right defenseman. <laughs> yes, I would. I would be bold enough to make that move. Yeah. But I don't think I would do Nylander for him. I'm kinda on the fence there. Um Maybe yeah, this is just it, vestigial faith, but yeah, it, it's it's, it's just, difficult. I, I I I don't know. I feel like we on hockey Twitter, Hamilton has like such a ridiculously good reputation, right? And I think by and large, it's justifiable. His his numbers are good. Some salty Calgary fans say he was a product of Giordano. Um, I think if you look at the numbers, it's very obvious that's not the case. Yeah. Um, Tyler Dedo's actually done a couple articles about this where it's basically been like basic fact checking, which actually goes quite a long way in, in, in yeah, hockey sometimes analytics. Someone ought to do that, you know, once yeah. in a while. And, and basically his conclusion is like, Dougie Hamilton's actually good, right? Like it, he <laughs> wasn't the problem in Calgary. He's And he's not goosing his shot numbers with, you know, yeah. crap from the like point. The, if there's a reason why his, um, 
why his goal numbers lag behind his shot numbers, at least this year in Carolina, it it certainly isn't because his own shot contributions are the issue, right? It might be, might be something yeah. else. It might be variance. We don't know. We need more information and more time and more resources to really understand that. But it's it's not it's not as simple as saying, oh, Hamilton just gooses his shot numbers or whatever. Um, so yeah, it, it's tricky. He's a weird guy to understand, and I'm I'm weirdly hesitant to trade for anyone from Carolina now, just because I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, there's like a cloud over them now where you think something funny is happening there, and it's hard to piece what it is. I, I do think you, you know it's been insisted by a lot of nerds um, over the years. It's like Carolina is a good team; they've just been really unlucky. It's not impossible, as uh, you were saying this before we went on, to have a run of luck like this. You know, it's not impossible for a team to just do a bunch of coin flips and have them come up tails five, six times in a row, right? That happens. But this has been going on so long now in such a pronounced way that I don't think it's reasonable to kind of shut out explanations where they're doing something that is really sewering their shooting percentage. I just don't. It's It's been going on too long. I mean, I Dom uh, Lachishan, uh, who's a statistician for the, Asle- the Athletic, that's a tongue twister, saying all those words in a row. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he, he said, you know, like, look, to be the best offense in the league, you have to score some goals sometimes. <laughs> you know, as much as I believe in expected goals and in shot metrics and all that sort of stuff, if the puck doesn't go in for long enough, uh, I start to think, okay, I think something might be happening here. Yeah. And this is actually one of the great challenges of sports analytics in that, like, w- from a math and stats perspective, like, one thing that you're always that kind of beat into from very early on in your education is, like, you know, you need a large sample size to determine these things. So, like, the obvious inclination is, okay, well, we need, we need to wait. I, I, a lot of statisticians' answers to things is, I don't know, we need more data. <laughs> right because, and, and the thing is there's no amount of fancy math and fancy techniques that will turn a little data into lots of data yeah right it's, it's not possible mm-hmm. um but the problem with working in sports is that you don't have the time to wait for extra data. you can't be like okay well yeah let's just simulate 800 more games right and yeah make our decision then it's like well no like the constraints of the season and the outcomes of the season on your job on your team's bottom line on your players it matters and you have to make decisions faster than you would um like to right you need to make decisions Mm -hmm. before it you may have full statistical robustness and that's where kind of the hockey knowledge comes into play right or the the sport specific knowledge where you can say okay well you know if we just look at this for as a purely a numbers thing we might not be able to say this with a perfect degree of confidence or a 95 uh percent degree of confidence um but you know if i have some knowledge of the mechanics of what we're actually dealing with with the sport and all that maybe i can narrow it down and find something more interesting and uh say and conclude things like oh this might be the reason why right essentially you have to make mm-hmm. decisions before you're 100 percent comfortable just because of the nature of sports um and right. i think if you're doing hockey analytics you have to recognize that you have to recognize that we can't always make definitive conclusions about a player or a team because we don't have the sample size but we're teams and analysts are still forced to make decisions on them and make determinations on them and to do that you need to look beyond just the numbers i think yeah there has to be you know some contextual work there where you say okay what's happening on the footage 
And, you know, uh, we don't watch Carolina enough to say, but it, it's like, it sure seems like something is happening there. That's what I, I keep thinking. Uh, gosh. And, and you know, I, I hate to be, like, dismissive of it. And, you know, this is, like, alien to my temperament to say that, like, disregard the shot metrics. Because I still think it's good to be, like, a 57% shot share team or a 57% expected goals share team, which is what they are. Um but at some point, uh, yeah, you have to put the puck in the net. So, yeah, there's one other thing that I want to talk about on timeline just very briefly. And it kind of comes back around into the betting thing that we were talking about. Uh, there are 31 general managers in the league currently. Uh, 20 of them have been hired since 2014. And so if you're thinking of the timeline for drafting, a lot of your picks, even if they're they're hits, you know, outside of the first round, are just going to be coming into the NHL now or thereabouts. You know what I mean? Like, y- you rely so much on drafting in terms of how to stock the base of your team, and yet a lot of guys are fired before their drafting really bears fruit, or if they're perceived to have busted on, you know, like a significant pick. It's just the timeline of sports employment and the timeline of like development or for numbers to stabilize, all of those timelines are different. And the one that exists in the real world is a lot more unforgiving. So, yeah. Right. And and that's, just, I think, what necessitates a lot of these these moves. It's just, as we were saying, that you have to make determinations before the numbers give you, before a pure numbers approach gives you 100% confidence in your determination, right? And yeah. making those decisions is, is, is very difficult, right? And the same thing exists in, in mm. every sport. Like, in, in soccer, it's the same way. You have to... Um, in soccer, it's kind of similar, where, like, people... Finishing talent uh, is kind of this nebulous thing at times, and it can it can vary a lot over small samples. And if you're looking at acquiring a player who just had a hot finishing year, well, is it... Did he have a hot finishing year because he got lucky, or did he have a hot finishing year because he changed something in his game or he improved his game in such a way that uh, he's just a better finisher now, right? And... If you're making mm-hmm. a multi-million pound acquisition, you need to be comfortable in that determination. But just looking at stats alone will probably not get you 100% confidence. That, oh, this guy is legit now, right? You have yeah. to mix that in with with your knowledge of the game and your knowledge of the underlying systems. And I think that's what analysts should be doing about Carolina at this point. Far easier said than done, mm-hmm. right? It's very easy to sit here and say, oh, yeah, I mean, we just got to look in more detail. It's not ob- obvious to find this if it was we probably would have found it already. Um, but yeah, yeah it's, something is is weird there um, and certainly requires more analysis. I think the likely outcome of this Carolina listening on people is that like, Carolina is probably listening in the sense that if you blow them away with an offer, they'll, they'll consider it. Yeah. But like, like they'll want Nylander and no one's going to give them a Nylander. No, and that's what it's going to come down to. So yeah. I, I, I mean, think he's, mostly gonna, have... he's most likely staying put. Yeah, they don't have a huge amount of pressure to trade him. He's got three years. He's like they're just sort of dangling him out, saying, "Someone give us um, a really, really high end scorer," and those just are not in sufficiently plentiful supply to uh, to get dangled out uh, that easily. Now Hamilton is a guy that you think about for them, but yeah, I don't think that that's gonna gonna go somewhere just because. If nothing else, Dougie Hamilton doesn't seem like the guy who's going to get overvalued by NHL general managers. So, yeah, that's kind of where we're at right now. So, yeah, I mean, call about them. 
I guess, is what Kyle Dubas is going to do or should do or whatever. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're not expecting a transaction along those lines. No. Um, maybe someone more realistic. Well, two people who we want to discuss who are yeah. somewhat more realistic in that we've heard. One is more of a rental and one is someone who we've heard more rumblings around. But Alex Petrangelo mm -hmm. and Nick Jensen. So right. Petrangelo is a Team Canada-level defenseman on the St. Louis Blues who should be good but are not. Um, and might they might want to blow it up. And Petrangelo, has, he's like 28, I think. He has yep. a year and a bit left on his contract, so it expires after 2019-2020. Um, you probably won't want to sign him to an extension because he is. it's going to be a very pricey exp uh, extension that takes him deep into his 30s. Mm -hmm. And it's probably not a an extension you're going to love as the team who signs it. Mm -hmm. So trading him makes some sense for them, and the Leafs make sense as a suitor. Um, and this was very well argued by Kevin Papetti in a MOHS piece, Maple Leafs Hot Stove piece, um, where he, he looked into into Petrangelo and the kind of the offers that it would take for the Leafs to, to get him and whether it makes sense for the Blues to trade him. And it, it, it sort of does. If, if they don't see themselves being good this year or next. Yeah. Um, it's tough to, uh, to figure out exactly what's going on in St. Louis. The most obvious thing that's going on is Jake Allen, who is probably one of the worst regular starting goalies in the NHL. I feel like saying, mm -hmm. um, he, he's, He's on like a, a term deal. He's still got two years after this one running at 4.35 million per. And he just doesn't do a very good job. Like the, the, the simple version is his save percentage right now is 898. You know? Yeah, that's not that's, taking you far. Yeah, Better teams than the St. Louis team have been sunk by a below 900 save percentage. Yeah. I mean, even when his save percentage was better... Uh, there was some implication that was being done by a very good defensive team in front of him. Right. And right now, as far as we can tell, there's just not a lot of bailing out going on, which is why the Blues, who really look like they ought to be pretty okay. Um, again, their metrics are okay at even strength. And they have some some nice names on there. Like, I, I think, you know, Ryan O'Reilly and Braden Shen and Tyler Bozak. Hello, old friend. Is like a pretty respectable crop of centers. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. But, uh, yeah. So, one note about St. Louis blowing up is that they have a lot of guys signed for three, four, five years who are in their late 20s or early 30s. Like uh, Tarasenko, O'Reilly, uh, Alexander Steen, Tyler Bozak, David Perron. Uh all of these guys are kind of in that bracket where it's like if they blow it up, they probably have to really blow it up in a lot of these cases. Yeah, so I guess it becomes a question of like, are, are they willing to do a mini rebuild? Where it's like the, yeah. you, you trade the oldest and uh, I guess least useful in the future to you. And Petrangelo might be one of them given his contract situation. Mm -hmm. And then try and be good in starting 2020. Yeah. Um, and I don't which, know which what is the like answer a pretty, that is. It's tough. And, you know, like embracing a, a rebuild of that nature, that's tough. That's tough for a general manager to do. You know, we all say we, you know, we would think about it um, in a lot of these circumstances. And, you know, it's something that you can do on NHL 19. But to really kind of light, you know, 
five or six contracts on fire, basically, and just say, we're selling out the store here. Um, that's bold. That's very bold. It's also probably so, hard to sell that to ownership. Especially if you're the guy who built the team. Yep. Um, which Doug Armstrong is. He's been in office since 2010. So, like, this is kind of... It's his, his product. Now, Doug Armstrong had the uh, the guts to make a deadline trade when his team was still in the playoff hunt. Um, he did this recently when he was uh, dealing Paul Stastny. Um, and it was not well received in the dressing room, apparently. Understandably. But, yeah, who, who were, you know, they were saying, you know, we're still in the running here. You traded one of our best players. But Doug Armstrong said, like, look, we don't have it this year, and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. So credit to him for boldness there, but that all comes back around to, okay, to deal Alex Petrangelo, he has to be thinking, okay, this year's done. Next year's probably not going to be a lot better. I want a lot of assets. And that's where the Toronto Maple Leafs come in. Right. Um, As Kevin covered in his piece, most teams that would be, most of the type of teams that would be in for Alex Petrangelo, which are contenders, are Mm. pretty secure at right defense. And really the differences, or sorry, the, the two teams that, would really, really benefit from this sort of trade are Toronto and Boston. Mm. So Toronto might not be, uh, it, there might not be a bidding war for Petrangelo, essentially. It might just be those two teams who are in on it. And I, I don't know enough about Boston's depth chart and prospects isn't to know what they want to give up. Mm. But for Toronto, it becomes very attractive to get someone of the caliber of Petrangelo because we would be replacing a certainly below average or potentially below replacement level guy in Ron Hainsey, who is currently mm-hmm. on our first pair, with a Team Canada level defenseman. Yeah, which is pretty dandy. Uh, oh, it's worth noting, uh, if we haven't covered this, Alex Petrangelo did have a hand injury. Yeah. But he's back. And so, barring other evidence for now, we're going to assume that it's not going to have any lingering effects. That's a bit of an iffy caveat, but from where we're sitting, we can't say any more than that. But yeah, I mean, it would be a huge upgrade uh, for, for the Leafs. I mean, Ron Hainsey, God bless his soul, but like he doesn't... I'm just tired of seeing Ron Hainsey, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I like I, I know that, like you know, there's like an intellectual reason for me being frustrated with his play and all this sort of stuff. And I'm kind of giving into the emotional reason a little bit. But I'm just so tired of watching him like botch some sort of play and then the puck goes in behind him and then he looks up to the heavens and like dour frustration <laughs> it's like man i don't want to see this anymore anyway you know like he's had a, a good run and you know even if we acro- acquire alex petrangelo i think ron hainsey is still going to be in the lineup oh yeah yeah it, like it's not like he's going to the moon it, it's osagana uh, who's coming out of the lineup at that point yeah which you know too bad for the kid but uh yeah i say he's a kid he's not even that young but, uh, yeah, so there is certainly an obvious opening there. The question is, what are you willing to pay for him? What is everyone else willing to pay for him? And what is St. Louis willing to accept for him? And so Kevin did the bold thing and actually began putting together an offer. I want to preface this by saying trade speculation is kind of fun. But at the same time, if you're doing it as any kind of blogger or writer or something, it is the most thankless fucking task. Oh my god. It's because Ke- Kevin gets so much shit for this. I know, and I'll say this. I think Kevin is really good at coming up with combinations that are fascinating and that are not obviously skewed. Like they're thought provoking, but like he's not 
tossing out lopsided trades again and again. But he puts them out on Twitter and he polls his fan base and a lot of the people who follow Kevin are Leafs fans. And so the result is that unless the trade is like obscenely lopsided in favor of Toronto, a lot of the fan bases, a lot of the fan base A says no, Toronto says no. And then they even comment being like, are you out of your tree? I swear, Kevin could say like Connor Brown for Connor McDavid and it'd still be like 45% Toronto says no. Look, one of those guys can lead his team to the playoffs, and it looks like it's Connor Brown. So, checkmate. But his uh, his idea for Alex Petrangelo that he suggested on Twitter was 2019 first-round pick, Timothy Liljegren, Ian Scott, and Zach Hyman. Now, obviously, Kevin is dead to me <laughs> for having suggested that. But it's a thought-provoking trade because I don't think that that seems light on the Toronto end. Yeah, like, and, and sorry, we should also mention that Petrangelo's contract for the next two years is six and a half million. Mm-hmm. So, it it does you know it, it squeezes us financially. In other ways, like you're not getting Jake Gardner back, probably. Yeah, yeah, absolutely um, not. Barring other moves, so yeah, there's a. I think that that's an an interesting move. If I'm St. Louis. I certainly think long and hard about that, getting, you know, a, a late first. But Timothy Liljegren, who's like a decent right defense prospect. Ian Scott, who has kind of come into his own as a goaltending prospect. And then Zach Hyman, who is the best player in the NHL, slash a pretty good left-wing utility winger, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I, I think um, Hyman is uh, an above-average third-line winger. Like, he, he kind of hovers yeah. um, between, like, third, I think he'd be a good third-line or mediocre second-liner, kind of. Yeah, um, I mean, between you and me, if if the Blues really do go full burn it down on this sort of thing, I'm a little persuaded by the idea of having a certain number of good guys around during the rebuild who are going to, you know, teach you good habits and play a 200-foot game and do all those things well. Um, and so Zach Hyman can kind of contribute to that if you want to make that move. That's if St. Louis is really saying, like, okay, screw this. Yeah. So, Nick, um, I, I do the trade that Kevin proposes, and I don't hesitate that much about it. It pains me, but I do it. Uh, and, w- you know, what we were talking about, like, what about if the main piece going the other way is Kasperi Kapanen? Are you still comfortable with oh, that? Oh, no, no. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> uh, Kapanen has, has become too valuable to me to move in any rental or rental plus one deal. I, mm. I, I, I need two years, at least. Like, sorry, yeah. two plus years. So, like, I consider it, like, I do it for Hamilton. Yeah. Right? Uh, you know, I don't do it for someone with only two playoff runs. Yeah. And some people will say that that's a homer decision, but at the same time, it's like... I mean, it very well could be. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, we've all fallen in love with Kapanen. Um, but he looks like a top six winger yep. who's going to be team-controlled, who's we can probably keep his salary down for a while. Because he doesn't you know. play power play, his counting numbers are never going to be amazing. And he's yeah. never going to get a ridiculous contract because of that. No, but like at the same time, great five-on-five player, useful penalty killer... Um, you know, he's exactly the kind of asset you want to think about, uh, about holding on to in a situation where you're going to be squeezed financially year in, year out. Yep. So, yeah, 
It is. It's thought-provoking to have that deal on the table for Petrangelo. And, you know, giving up Liljegren is not uh, a pleasant thing to contemplate because he was he's still kind of our great hope. But I think in the eyes uh, of many fans, Sandin has supplanted him. Um, I know yeah. Scott Wheeler and Kevin both feel that Sandin's a better prospect than uh, Liljegren now. But I think both of them still think Liljegren is going to be an NHLer. Um, mm-hmm. Probably not going to be a huge difference maker at that level, but, like... You almost never project anyone outside of the elite players to be a difference maker. It, if it happens, no. it happens. If not, if it doesn't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't love trading Liljegren. I, I like him. He's yeah. a fun player to watch. But I, I think it's kind of just table stakes, right? Like, th- there's two kind of non-negotiable pieces of this deal, and that's the first-round pick and Liljegren. And then we need to add yeah. more, of course. Mm-hmm. Right? But I think those two are just like, it's like the ante at a poker table. Yeah, I, that's the reality, is you're not getting a high, high-end defenseman for things that you're going to be entirely comfortable giving away. And I'll tell you the truth, I don't even give a shit about the first-round pick. Yeah, no, fuck that. So it's really, it's, it's Timothy Liljegren who's who is painful to me, but, you know, from where the Blues are sitting, uh, they they would want a, a big offer. And so... Yeah, and and, yeah, and frankly, I, they, they, would, they would start by asking for... Well, they'd probably start by asking for Nylander, to be honest. But then, like, it'll, they'll yeah. ask for Nylander, then they'll ask for Capitan, and then we'll say no to both of those, and then they'll settle on this, if it happens. Yeah, right. Like, like that's the thing, is we're really working them down in this situation. And, again, we're, you know, maybe someone would outbid us. Like, it, it, it's kind of the game that we're playing right now. But I do think that in all of these discussions, there's a risk of... Being very tempted to overpay because he's such an obvious fit, you know, like it's such an, a glaring need in our roster is to have uh, a first line, a first pairing right defenseman. And, you know, we're a playoff team, we're a team that can credibly claim to be the second best team in the NHL or close to it. You know, we certainly are thinking about it. And yet you can't let that get you to make something that's a, like a really short sighted decision. So, yeah, it, it, it takes kind of a cool head to go into this negotiation and come up with a satisfying answer. Yeah. But, um, uh, some fans might think, oh, why don't we go for Pareko instead? I don't think they're <laughs> going to give up Pareko for anything short of Nylander. Nor should they. No. No. Well, the thing about Pareko is even if you go full burn it down, Pareko was 25. Yeah, he's the guy you would fill on a good contract. Yeah, like, they have absolutely no pressure to give him up in any earthly universe. And if they ever do, I have a feeling that the gigantic right defenseman who puts up great metrics and who can also produce is, like, he just checks every box for so many teams. Yeah. So, like, yeah, we're not getting him. Because Um, of his contract, there are are always going to be far more suitors for Pareko than there are for Petrangelo, right? Because, like, for 20 teams in the league, Petrangelo makes no sense because they don't they don't expect to be a contender this year or next. Yeah. Right? And then for, for a few more, it doesn't make sense because they already have good right defensemen. Yeah. To give an example there, you could make an argument that the Vancouver Canucks should definitely chase Colton Pareko if he's on the market. Right. And like from where they're sitting, they absolutely, yeah, I mean, try. So yeah, that's not really going to happen. But it's, it's interesting. It'll be something to keep an eye on going forward. I think Kyle Dubas certainly is bold enough to contemplate this. So... I guess we're going to see. But let's assume that we're not going to be shopping off the top shelf. Yeah. We can look down a level. Yeah. Oh, before we do, I just want to say, Kevin's article also talks about Jared Spurgeon of the Minnesota Wild, who is mm. very similar 
in a similar situation to Petrangelo, um, around the same age, has also a pretty nice contract. I forget the actual number. I think it's in the fives. Um, and same, the contract status goes until the end of next year. Mm-hmm. He would probably cost a bit less to acquire, so I'd actually be down to make an offer for him. But the Wild are still competitive in the playoff race and mm-hmm. probably are not going to trade him unless things fall off between now and February. So, But basically everything we said about Petrangelo also uh, applies to Spurgeon. Yeah, uh, it applies to Spurgeon. I will say the team situation for many, I think, makes it a lot dicier just because they have those glaring Parise and Suter contracts. Yeah. And I don't... I, like, I don't know what their incentives are, but it looks to me like they almost can't rebuild. Yeah, they're, they're, they just, they're, they're almost forced into like, okay, let's let's try and be a pseudo contender and maybe something breaks right. And also, I mean, this this we're used to this not mattering for the Leafs. And I'm not sure how much it matters for Minnesota because they're in a very strong market. But like playoffs are a big incentive for teams because they make a lot of money in the playoffs. It helps yeah. your bottom line a lot. That that's why Carolina is like so gung ho about like we gotta make the playoffs, even if they they're just gonna be an eight seed and get bounced in five games. Yeah, because that's two games worth of uh, of playoff revenue. Yeah, uh, even in that situation, and you're not paying players anymore. Like your expenses go down drastically. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, like it's that's something to keep in mind. It's why some teams are willing to run the treadmill of mediocrity. Yeah, you also get, you know, general managers who are running, who, who are, sorry, who are managing for their jobs. Yes. Uh, and, you know, even if you just get a lucky run that gets you to the third round, um, that gives you credibility with a lot of owners, even if it was mostly your goalie got hot at the right time. I, I mean, the Ottawa Senators had a really, frankly, fluky run to the conference finals a couple years back, but I'm sure that helped Pierre Dorian look more credible in the eyes of his clown ass owner so you know uh, it, it does it makes a difference and all these team factors impact the psychology of the people making the deals and that's partly why trade speculation is so bloody difficult because it's not a bunch of cold rational computers um making decisions in the abstract you know there are a lot of factors that come into play yeah absolutely um but yeah as you said there's there's a lower end option on the market tell me about who that is the lower end option on the market is Nick Jensen of the Detroit Red Wings. Because when you want to improve your blue line, Detroit's the way to go. <laughs> you might say, but Fulman, Detroit is terrible. Yes, they are. But Nick Jensen is 28 and he's making a little over $800,000. He's about to go unrestricted. So this is the purest of pure rentals. Nick Jensen is the most like average right shooting defenseman you can imagine. And you might say, that's it? And I say, yes, he'd probably be the best right-shooting defenseman on our team. It wouldn't even be that close. <laughs> and, like, it might not be super competitive. Um, this is getting, yeah, I, I mean, you do wonder how he would do playing alongside Morgan Riley, for example. Like, if, if there would be a meshing there, if, you know, he's up for the task. But if we're really just trying to find somebody to help stabilize the right defense a bit... To make it a bit more credible, uh, Nick Jensen is there. I can't imagine he's going to command a ransom. So this is very much, you know, shopping at the, you know, $12 bottle of wine uh, shelf here. But 
he's something to think about. It's it is really funny looking at him because he looks so average. Yeah, like his um his on and one like play driving metrics, which is one thing I look at a lot for defensemen. Um, mm-hmm. because I, I don't care that much about scoring, and I think most of them have a pretty limited impact on shooting percentage or save percentage. Um, right. But in that sense, he, he looks, yeah, he's, like, slightly above average. Um, if you look at Evolving Wilds, RAPM, he's, like, exactly average. If you look at Micah McCurdy's isolated threat, he plays a bit on the PK, doesn't take a ridiculous amount of penalties. From watching him uh, a little bit, he seems like an, an all-right puck mover. I wouldn't say he... Yeah. I wouldn't say he excels there, but he, he seems like he's decent. He... Treats the puck like a puck and not a live grenade, which is a quality <laughs> I appreciate in my right side defenseman that I haven't really seen from Hainsey or Zaitsev. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. sign him up. This like <laughs> this is almost us saying to Cal Dubas, like, look, you're not getting any younger. You know, he, Nick Jensen is a nice boy. He's gonna take good care of you. <laughs> you know, I'd like you to settle a little bit. Yeah. And so the thing about Nick Jensen is, like, what is he going to command here? Like, I, I you know, I, I'm not going to pay more than, like, a third-round pick for him. Yeah. But, like, you know, if he can be had for that, if you're trying to make a kind of affordable upgrade um, for for the, the stretch run, I mean, he's there. Now, you can say, like, look, Nick Jensen is not moving the needle all that much. Rentals as a whole often don't move the needle that much just because they don't have that much time to do so. And it's kind of fluky. But if you want to do something, uh, I think you could do worse than taking a look at Nick Jensen. And then, you know, maybe if it works out, you can get him back at something of a discount just because our right defense is bad. Yeah, it's (laughs) like you're replacing below average or even below replacement level players with someone who is like not awful. Right. So it's like, yeah, the difference between an average player and a below replacement level player is is big right yeah that matters yeah and i do feel compelled to say that like the concept of replacement level player implies that we should be able to find guys who are replacement level right defensemen basically for free but it doesn't quite seem to work out that way it seems a little harder to find right i'm talking about it more in like kind of an abstract sense Uh, yeah yeah absolutely but yeah like it it's basically we you know, you can play with the numbers, but the short version is our right defense is not good, and even a competent right defenseman is going to represent a notable upgrade. And you could say the same thing about, like, Mark Pissick, who has an additional year on his contract, making, like, 2.7 mm-hmm. mil or something. Um, yeah. But same idea. Yeah. So there's there's something to be said for, okay, if you're Kyle Dubas and you're thinking, okay, I'm not in the market for Alex Petrangelo, it's just prices are too high or the Blues don't want to do it. Uh, ditto Spurgeon in Minnesota, then things start getting a little dicey. You know, there are guys like, I mean, obviously Eric Carlson is probably not going anywhere out of uh, San Jose. Right. And then uh, Tyler Myers, whatever you think of him, I don't think Winnipeg has any incentive to be trading him away. So, yeah, it starts being like, okay, can we find a bargain? You know, can we find something that's going to help just a little bit? And that's what Nick Jensen is. So... (laughs) Yeah, uh, there was a ringing endorsement if we've ever given one out, that's for sure. But uh, he's there. Detroit has every reason to trade anyone like him for whatever they can get. Like, yeah. There's absolutely no reason for Nick Jensen to resign in Detroit unless, you know. Well, even, if, even if they trade him, they, sure, you can resign in Detroit if you, if you really want. Like, I don't know why you yeah. would necessarily. I guess 
love that comfortable Michigan climate. I don't know. Yeah, I. But uh, <laughs> I guess the one concern is like, so he's playing second pairing minutes now in in Detroit. Yeah. Um, on the Leafs, I, I imagine he would be played on the first pairing because like, why not? What else are we gonna do? And, and while you know we have these on-one number stats that try and isolate for role as much as possible, they obviously don't do a perfect job of it. Mm. So you also have to be comfortable that okay, this is a guy who can step up to a bigger role and maintain the same level of effectiveness. Yeah. But you know, even if he can't, it's like okay, we'll play him on the second pairing again. Like that'll still be useful. Yeah. So you know, it, it's something. Um, it's something to think about. And he does play the penalty kill. I don't know if we mentioned that. Yeah, he does. He doesn't play it a lot against first unit, but he plays it regularly. Yeah. Against second units. So, mm, you know, I'm sort of like, this is just, it's kind of sad that this is where we're at in terms of uh, shopping for right-handed defensemen. And, you know, at the trade deadline, if this is like the deal, like all we do is, you know, Nick Jensen for a third or something like that then that's going to be a little bit underwhelming uh, to a lot of people. But there's a lot to be said for, like, a sensible little upgrade that doesn't give away the farm. Um, yeah. You know, maybe it helps you a little bit. Yeah. So. Dubis has made some comments that suggest he's not a huge fan of rentals, right? Where he said, like, there's yeah. a lot of rentals who don't really help our team that much. Um, which I, my, I guess, interpretation of that is, like, forward rental is probably not a thing that's happening because... Even when you get a good forward, like, let's say you get Gustav Nyquist, right, yeah. uh, as a forward rental, who is a good player, had yeah. a very good year. He, he's displacing someone who's more than likely like above average because the Leafs have pretty much all above average forwards. Yeah, like, you know, I, I mean, if you're displacing Andreas Janssen for him, like, is that even... Like, like, it's, it's an upgrade, it's not but it's not, it. it's not an absurd upgrade because Andreas Janssen's like unplayable. But like in the playoffs, Ron Hainsey is pretty close to unplayable. It's, it's tough out there. Right? It really um, is. So. Especially, I mean, I think the degree to which this happened is overstated, but Boston definitely did kind of pick on him. I don't think he had a very good series. Zaitsev did, which was surprising to me, and hopefully he can do that again. Um, but, yeah, like, it's... I, I, I don't really have any faith in Hainsey to be any better in the playoffs than what he's been right now. Mm-hmm. And teams can definitely exploit him. So... Yeah, so that I mean that's something to think about. I mean, the objection to this would be, okay, you're going out and you're making these sort of random little rentals. Do they mean that you're now going to beat Tampa? And, and you know, the truth is we would still be the underdogs against Tampa in a matchup. It just makes you a little bit more competitive, and whether or not you want to pay a mid-round pick to do that is up to you. I feel like at some um, point you have to. You can't you can't wait for the year yeah. where you're Suddenly, like, oh, we're actually the best team in the league now. So now now we can go for, like... Yeah. It, that's such a, like, scared way of running a team. And you don't have enough chances to do that. And it's possible that it never happens. Right? Like... No. I would say definitively the Leafs have never been the number one team in the NHL since 1967. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's literally ever happened. The closest we've come is second or third best which is where we are now so you know yeah i mean these are heady days this isn't this isn't (laughs) basketball where you can look at golden state and say like okay in the playoffs like there is basically a zero percent chance for my team to beat them right like and and even golden state's actually somewhat vulnerable this year um although how vulnerable remains to be seen but as good as tampa is it's hockey 
like they're they're yeah. they're better than the Leafs. They're not so much better than the Leafs that it's going to be an uncompetitive four game sweep. We we saw last month that the Leafs can totally kick their ass. Yeah, if we if we get everything going, you know, we have a shot. And at a certain level, it's like if you have a shot at anybody, sometimes you got to capitalize. You owe it on to that. yourself and your players to do it. Washington, yeah. this is last year was like the worst Washington team of the past four years. Yeah, and then they went out and they won a cup. So you never know. Um, so yeah, <laughs> we've made like a bold case for uh, acquiring a player we're not that excited about, but. Uh, yeah, I, he would improve us. So I think that that's something uh, to look at. And I do expect Kyle Dubas is going to do something. I think that he's going to probably make an acquisition. This is purely a feeling that I have. But I think he recognizes the position that his team is in. Uh, they're legitimately, I think, uh, a top-level team on merit right now. And that's worth pursuing, as we've said. So, yeah. Um. We were going to just take a quick look around the division uh, now and just see what the state of play is with these other teams. Yeah. Um, so... Wait, before we look around to, the division, um, yeah. I, I'm putting you on the spot here. Do you have anything you want to say about Edmonton after they got beat 4 nothing by the Kings <laughs> yesterday? <laughs> it's just me making an extended laugh. But, like, I mean, come on. Like, what, what was... Yeah, Brandon Manning was going to come in and save the friggin' day. Like... Hey, you forgot about Alex I, Petrovic. Oh, well, yeah, excuse me. You know what? I know that this has come through recently, but I'm, like, almost, like, morally outraged that, like, there's still a pretense that Edmonton is doing a good job. Like, Brian Burke was saying last night, like, oh, he's just making moves that improve the team. Shut the fuck up. No, he is not. He's doing a terrible job. And, like, I resent on, like, an emotional level that, like all of the terrible decisions that he's made are being, like, pushed on everyone as if, like, no, he's a hockey man. He knows better than you. He's really smart and stuff. I think Chiarelli's made good moves, a few of them, at the cleft ball extension. The fact is he's made a lot of decisions that everyone knew were bad at the time and that have been totally borne out as bad. So uh, the Edmonton Oilers have to lose for justice and righteousness. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. At, this is beyond sports. This is about truth. And I'm sure Chiarelli's like a nice enough guy, which is probably why he has so many friends in the media. Yeah. Right? Like he's probably just a pleasant, affable guy, but he's a pleasant, affable, affable guy who is like pretty awful at his job. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm sorry. The truth is, is that if anything, I ought to have a professional bias in his favor because he has a law degree, which is like not that common a thing among uh, hockey general managers. Like he has a different type of experience than a lot of the hockey lifers. But the fact is he's botched that team. So, it, you know, if they limp into the playoffs and again, there's, it's not impossible. There's a decent chance they could do it, but it would be really bad for that team to have to keep employing him. And I just like, I need him to be defeated and to be recognized as such. It's so. going to be tougher than make the playoffs too. Like so they're, they're, Already, they, they can't win the they can't get a playoff spot in the in the Pacific. They're twelve points. They're twelve back, points out, right? Yeah. They have a couple games in hand on San Jose, who is third in the division, but they're not making that up. Even if they win those two games in hand, what they're eight points back. Okay, great. That that's yeah. a very hard lead to claw uh, claw back. So they're, they're, the only thing that yeah, sorry, go ahead. They, they can maybe make a wild card, but like even then, like 
I don't really, I don't think they're better than Colorado. I don't think they're better than Minnesota. I, they might be better than Anaheim, but Anaheim has a better goaltender. Yeah. Which it, makes a big difference. Yeah, it's the only reason that I'm really open to it is one, Edmonton still has the best player in the world. And two, that second wild card spot, like Minnesota, I think is good. I think they're better overall than Edmonton, but they're not that impressive. Mm-hmm. And Anaheim, like, yeah, it's they're a goalie, and then they're just getting bombed in shots all the time. So, yeah, like, it's certainly open, but that whole situation, like, a, a lot of things had to go wrong for Edmonton to get where they are now. Um, and I, I suppose this is almost like, just whenever I hear, like, Mark Spector or guys like that, like, insisting still that... Tyrell is doing a job. It's like someone shouting at me, two plus two equals five. And it just drives me nuts on some, for some reason. Like you can tell that I care too much about the Edmonton Oilers for a team that is like on the other, the other side of the country. And that really does not have much bearing on the Leafs. But I, I just wanted to, uh, to share that for the fans. Yeah. So, all right. So now let's look at the actual rest of the division. Um, Tampa's good. That's annoying. Yeah. Look, Tampa is as good a team as I've seen in recent years. Yeah. Uh, you know, they remind me of the the dominant Hawks team in 2010, for example. Like, they're just, they're really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and then there's us. Still, uh, comfortably might be overstating it, but solidly second in the division. Um, and then Boston, god damn it! <laughs> Boston's come on strong recently. They've, they've won four in a row. They're they're a good team. We said this before. They're they're a good team. They had a ton of injuries to start the year, and when Buffalo had that hot streak, I think most Leaf fans were hoping that okay, that give us Buffalo, we'll take that. Yeah. Right. But We'd now Boston is ahead of Buffalo by two points, and they're in my opinion, and I think in your opinion too, the better team. Oh yeah. So they're uh, we're more likely to face Boston than Buffalo, and to that I have to say fuck. <laughs> I don't want this anymore. I, I don't want to play Boston. Yeah, and you know what? I think the Leafs are a better team than Boston. I do genuinely believe that. I think that I would bet on us to win that series. I don't want to play the Boston Bruins. I'm not going to believe we're a better team than them until we win a series against them. I, even That's right now. entirely fair. Yeah. I, I mean, like, you know, after last year and, you know, we have, like, 2013 really no longer has any bearing. No. On, on this team, but still it sucked. And we're just tired of the Boston Bruins, man. I don't want to play them again. I don't like them or the things that they do. Um, but nonetheless, it looks like that's our fate. Like, this is kind of our, you know, like we're condemned to, to face Boston until we can defeat them. So I guess that's our, our character test. But uh, they're so good. And you know what? My objection to Buffalo is that they're a one-line team. Mm-hmm. And Boston is reliant on its top-end talent a lot. Like, there's no getting around that. But they're better throughout the lineup. And also, Boston's top-end talent is ridiculous. Yeah. Boston's top <laughs> line is better than Buffalo's top line. Which is not that Buffalo's top line is bad. It's, in fact, quite no, good. It's, it's good. just Boston's top line is the best in the league. And, yeah, so it's, you know, it's tough. And they shredded us the first couple of games uh, last year. And that really put us behind the eight ball. And... I think maybe with the perspective on the Toronto-Boston series is a bit skewed by the fact that we lost and it was kind of painful in Game 7. But we weren't non-competitive in most of that series. No, we, it's we, just, were, we were like the slightly worse team. 
Yeah. But the fact remains that they have a line that is very, very hard for us to stop. And I don't know that we have an answer forthcoming except to outscore them by virtue of having better second and third lines than they do. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's basically it. Um, Buffalo, again, they were riding the Jack Eichel line. Jack Eichel is now injured. We don't know for how long yet. Uh, the longer he's out, the much dicier they get to hold on to the playoff spot they're in, mm-hmm. um, obviously enough. But, um, you know, they're still like a middling team, but they were not ever, I think, legitimately a top three team in this division. You, you know, like they were there on standings, but they're just not that impressive to me. Um, yeah. They're a lot better than they were. Yeah. But, yeah, they're a one-line team, and... It's really hard to make it as a one-line team. So behind them is Montreal. Mm-hmm. Montreal is coming on um, a little bit. Like, they have nice shot metrics. Shea Weber, since he came back, looks like a, a rejuvenated man. Um, Carey Price is kind of in and out, and he's still not goaltending in a great level. It's kind of the third of the punch better. bowl, isn't it? A little bit, yeah. I mean, he's been a bit better lately. So you have to give him that. But uh, hey, only like that's... what seven more years? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the truth is, is that if Carey Price doesn't recover, that's the worst contract in the NHL. Yeah, like he and he might like to be clear. It's he's not that far removed from being really good. He has his moments, but it's like that's a huge amount of money to pay for a guy who's not who at least this year has been like barely backup level. So yeah, all of that said. They're like a strong team in in shot results, very strong, and they can kind of roll four lines. Good um, systems, bad individual talent, basically. Yeah, and that's good enough to get you into the playoffs, and they'll be a tough out for whoever they run into. Yeah, no, no one's going to be excited to play against them. Yeah, um, and I'm pretty sure that if they do get in, they're going to be Tampa Bay's problem, um, or conceivably uh, the winner of the Metros. So... You know, we won't worry about them too much. But, yeah, I, I mean, they're probably better than I thought they were going to be. Um, and then after that, the thing about the East right now is that you have nine teams fighting for eight playoff spots. And right now, Montreal is the odd team out. But them and the two wildcard teams are 50 points, 50 points, 49 points. And the Isles have a couple games in hand on the other two. But still, it's, like, really, really tight. And then after Montreal... There's an eight-point gap before you get to Carolina, which is, even with games in hand, that's a lot to overcome at this point in the season. Like, it looks pretty clear, like, you can just lop off everyone below Montreal and say they're almost certainly not going to make the playoffs. And they would need, like, a Hamburglar run. If you look at, like, goal difference, too, it's, like, very clear. Every team, Montreal is at minus one goal difference. Yeah. Uh, every team above them is at zero or a higher. Every team below yeah. them is at minus ten or lower. Yeah, like there's a clear delineation. And uh, again, whatever you believe about Carolina, it, it hasn't quite been happening in the larger scheme of things. Although they've won a couple lately, but, you know, I think they're too far gone. Yeah, it's um, really hard to make up. Uh, it's really, really hard to make up ground because of uh, loser points. Yeah, it's just it's it's a tough, tough league. You, 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 you know, you can play yourself points out. even when you're not doing too great. Yeah, and then beyond that, you have a bunch of teams who are 
mediocre or rebuilding or need to admit that they're rebuilding. And then you have Philadelphia, which I don't even understand. I Like, I don't get what's going on with Philly beyond they don't have goaltending. Yeah, but, me neither. Uh, uh, and then Ottawa's in last. Yeah, that's a shock, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, what do you say about about Ottawa? They made, like, a curious trade recently where they picked up Anders Nilsson effectively for, like, a sixth. Where it's like, I'm pretty sure Pierre Dorian is at this point just kind of managing to minimize the embarrassment of the first-round pick he's going to give to, to uh, Colorado. Because, like, right now, Ottawa is last in the NHL. And so, you know, if he's giving Jack Hughes to Colorado, that's going to be excruciating. And actually, so if, if, if he... they finish last, it's impossible for them to give up a... Or, sorry, it's impossible for them to... For Colorado to have a worse pick than than Ottawa got last year, right? Because they'll, be get, get, they'll yeah. get fourth or higher. I expressed that really badly, but basically it's a law of sense. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the bottom line. Yeah, so they had the choice uh, last summer of do we give up our first round pick this year which we know is fourth overall or do we give it up next year when it could be anything and the math on that was basically if they're gonna finish dead last then they ought to give up the fourth overall pick this year and then take whatever they can get if they can be better than that then maybe they ought to stick where they are yeah and i think Um, i we argued that they should give up the pick in the current year um yeah because the potential upside of getting number one or number two and getting Hughes or Kako is so much yeah. higher than like the difference between getting Brady, Kachuk, and, and fifth. And this was said at draft time. Uh, Kachuk has looked much better than I and many other people anticipated, and that, that changes the calculation slightly. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I basically yeah. stand by that. Yeah. Like, Jack Hughes is probably going to be a transformative player. Yeah. And really, this is how you get them, is you have to draft high. So... It's also yeah, really it, hard it, to judge Kachuk right now because he's getting the Mark Stone train, mm. right? And Stone's just an unbelievable player. Um, and I'm, I'm sure Kachuk's is... numbers are. There's. I, I feel like we should just remark on this. We talked about Mark Stone before, yeah. but his like his on-off numbers are doing things that are like really hard to believe. It's stunning in terms of like yeah, when he's on, the Ottawa Senators are a functional to decent team Mm -hmm. when he's off they are a tire fire and it's like very very stark like it's pretty much him driving the bus there um that's really incredible and right now they're in a position now where they can sign him to an extension or they have to decide if they're going to trade him in february because i don't think they can afford to let him walk for nothing yeah reportedly he wants to stay there which is I guess a testament to the Ottawa area itself, because it sure, sure as hell isn't the team. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what what to say there. The thing is, is that you know, I want to stay here, but at what price? Right, and because and I am yeah. for a team that just traded their best player ever because they couldn't they couldn't afford or didn't really want to pay what he's going to ask for in a year. Um, yeah, it's a question of whether they would do that for for Mark Stone. I mean, I hope that. And this is from selfish from a fan's perspective. I hope that players have looked at John Tavares choosing a good team, choosing wisely mm-hmm. uh, for a team saying, like, I'm going here because I think they have the best chance to win. And so yeah. far it's working out. I hope that inspires players to do that. Like, I think hockey players are pretty bad at this in general. I remember when Iginda chose to go to Colorado. 
um, after that random yeah, that was video year. <laughs> I was just like, oh, no, why are you going there? Um, oh, Iggy. But, like, Stone, Stone should have his pick of 31 teams. Like, I literally think every team would make room for, for I was going to say John Stones, who's a Man City defender, <laughs> uh, for Mark Stone. Yeah. I, the only thing I can think of is I wonder if it's recognized how good he is because he's one of those guys where he looks good in any circumstance. But if you look at his metrics, they are like jump off the page good. He's like a top 10 he's, skater in, in the world. Yeah, like if you're listing like right wingers by quality, and I mean this in a, a hockey sense, I should emphasize, um, who was he giving way to? Nikita Kucherov and end of list? Yeah. That, like, like <laughs> there's not there's not really a lot of other players who even if you just go to wingers, like maybe you put in Artemi Panarin over him. Yeah. Um, and w- whatever you think of Ovechkin at this point. Yeah. I, like, I, that's almost a legacy pick, but at the same time, he still is scoring a shit ton of goals. Yeah, so. yeah. Ovechkin's just a very unique player, right? So it's a bit yeah. hard to judge his overall quality because he, he produces it in such an odd package. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that they've got a, a real decision. I said before, I think that this is almost maintaining some base credibility for the franchise territory. Like, I think resigning Mark Stone, even if it's a bit iffy on their timeline, he's a really good player. He'll be good for a few years yet. And it would just be like, look, we can... We have some appeal. You know, we have something to offer. We're a place that some people would like to stay. And if, you know, if you're looking at going to Ottawa, which is not like they're huge bidders in free agency anyway... But it's like it gives them something to offer in terms of people to play with and stuff. So yeah, and then we also yeah. wonder what's going to happen with Duchesne, right? Yeah, and, and Duchesne almost the incentive with Duchesne is probably to extend him just because uh, if he walks for nothing at the same time as they're giving up a, a extremely good pick to Colorado, that is going to look even worse on uh, Pierre Dorian. So he might be tempted to extend him if he can purely just to be like, see, I at least held on to some asset out of this whole thing. But um, yeah, I I mean, I've talked about this too many times, but Ottawa is really in a messy situation and they'll be interesting to watch now because they have two prime trade deadline assets if they feel so inclined to give them up. Yep. But uh, yeah. So that's where the Atlantic is at. I realize now we skipped over Detroit. We, I feel like we always do this. Um, whatever. We talked about them enough when we talked about Nick Jensen. Yeah. Like, Detroit is working hard, and they're bad. So, yep. All right. So I think that's just about everything from us. Um, you can catch all of mine and Fuleman's stuff on PensionPanPuppets.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at RV and at AT Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.